everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Stripped by Sia, your podcast for strippers, sex workers, sex, sex workers. <laughs> I haven't interviewed in a while, so I'm a little rusty. My apologies. As sex workers and all the fancy naked people in between. My name is Steph Sia. I'm the host of the show. I'm also known as Kimchi on stage. I am a stripper. I'm also a content creator. And I was also a former sugar baby back in the day. I had a two-week stint as a cam girl. Um, <laughs> I did some brief doming once upon a time. I've just tried everything like a lot of sex workers do. But uh, currently, yeah, stripping is my thing. And same with making some content for my OnlyFans peeps. And I also, yeah. Yeah, I also do this show every single Sunday. So this show, Strip by Sia, is all about destigmatizing sex work. And I do that by sharing the lived experiences and stories of sex workers in effort to humanize them because there are a lot of assumptions that are made about the type of work that we do, um, how why we get into the work that we do, you know, are we forced into the, the job, blah, blah, blah. We've You've heard a lot about all before. But I'm just here to set the record straight and just to educate the masses. So that's my my uh, little effort in terms of like trying to help the world and make it a better place. <laughs> but um, we have an exciting guest that I am super stoked to bring on the show, longtime listener. And also I had heard her interview on a recent podcast too, which we'll get into later, which is really what inspired the episode. But before we kind of dig into everything and get into the meat and bones, I would like to just do a quick shout out to my Patreon subscribers. Um, especially those who are on the top tier and also the second tier as well. Uh, we have a brand new Patreon subscriber, Snoo Snoo. Shout out to you. We got Justin Erickson. We have Jay Sunstern, Paris Frank, and Arup Sarkar. Y'all are on the top tier of the show, which really helps out a lot in terms of like you get sneak peeks, you get behind the scenes, you get this exclusive video content and your donations really, really help support the show because I'm a one woman show. I do all the interviews. I source everything. <laughs> I edit all the episodes. I do all the videos. And yeah, I just, it's, it's really nice to kind of get a little bit of recognition that way. So if you are more interested in supporting the show, feel free to check out the Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash stripped by Sia, and you can get in touch with me there. Okay, so let's get into things. I'm really excited to introduce today's guest. She is Atlanta-based. She's a burlesque artist, pro-submissive, a kink and erotic model, spiritual advisor, and a founder of The Siren Effect, and also a survivor of sex trafficking, which is what we will be talking today. So before I I uh, let London on the show, I just want to say that there is a big trigger warning here. So if this is a trigger for you, if this is sensitive information for you, uh, feel free to skip this episode or skip later on. I, I'll put some timestamps on there. Um, but we will be discussing, discussing human trafficking, sex trafficking today. And 
yeah, I just, I mean, that's big. I, I've had a lot of feedback, especially on some of the other episodes I've done on uh, sex trafficking and, and pimping. And those have been heavier episodes. It's very, very, very sensitive content. So uh, be responsible about the content you're consuming. So if this isn't for you, that's totally okay. I'm not going to be offended. Feel free to skip this one. But um, Without further ado, I would like to introduce Ms. London Bridges onto the show today. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, you are so welcome. You do not have to thank me. I am super stoked that we can finally connect and I can get you on the show. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love you. I love your show. I definitely do. Thank you. I mean, I had recently listened to a really popular podcast Um and you were actually a guest on it. And I was like, oh, this name sounds really, really familiar. I'm like, where do I know this person from? And you had shared your story there of what happened to you in terms of like how you were sex trafficked. And I was engaged, really engaged with the episode. But I was also a little bit concerned because I just felt – and I'm not going to name the podcast, but it's a really popular podcast that I really love, by the way. But I felt – Maybe there was some kind of apprehension or maybe just not not being fully educated on the topic. And that's okay because we're all learning. That's fine. But I remember it jumped onto their, their Instagram page and just mountains of comments there. Just what I perceived as attacking you and, and just invalidating your story completely. Like some of the comments that I had heard was that, oh, like – I think this is this woman just got into like a bad relationship with this guy and this is a bad egg and she wasn't really trafficked. Um, she wasn't transported anywhere and just saying this wasn't human trafficking. And it really angered me so much that I was like, I would love to have you on the show to, to share your side of the story in terms of like there are many different types of sex trafficking which I feel a lot of people just don't know that and they are just stuck on this singular definition of what sex trafficking could be. So um, I just really want to, first of all, thank you for your bravery and coming on the show today. Like I, I'm, I'm so excited to just dig into everything today, but um, I'd really love to hear your story um, once we kind of get into it all. But uh, that's kind of the inspo for for today's episode. So it, it really spoke to me and it really made me angry. I just really wanted to give you a platform to talk about this because I think it's important. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it was um, a lot of people don't are not able to see what the different levels of trafficking and what it can be um, because the media portrays it as just one thing. And when the media portrays it as one thing, only one group of people come out and open up about their story. Um, so a lot of the people were saying that, oh, my friend is a therapist or works with um, sex trafficking victims and this is not what they told me that these kids or these women have been through. And it's like, that's again, just one side of the story. And I'm here to like really open up about this side of things. Cause for sex workers and people in the spiritual community as well, 
um, because that's really how I was trafficked as a sex worker and as somebody who was trying to find themselves spiritually. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, again, like it's, it's people stuck in this one definition and because there is this quote unquote one definition, it causes a lot of problems. And I would say it's really, really problematic because then you're going to have a severely underrepresented group of people that one are too scared to share their story two can't feel or feel that they can't share their story because no one's going to believe them or three. It's just like, well, this, this isn't what is being told in, in society or the media. So maybe my experience was something different and that's like kind of gaslighty in a, in a way. Right. Yeah. Very gaslighty. Very gaslighty. But I guess maybe we want to start off with how you got into sex work and then how that led to your story in terms of how you're sex trafficked. Maybe you want to go that way or maybe even just talk in a broad stroke of like the type of content that you make. I'd love for you to kind of go take it wherever you want to go and also define yourself in your own words and terms, not just taking my words for it. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, So I got into sex work as a stripper. I started stripping when I was 19, so like around 11 years ago, um, well, 12 I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I started when I was 19 and I was in the game for about, you know, 10 years. I don't know if you already know how it is for strippers. Like yep. <laughs> we, we, we go through a drought, we fall in love and then we end up leaving and we come back and oh Lord, I've been through it. <laughs> how about um, we all? I, right. Um, but I love the strip club. Um, I was somebody who was naturally a very sensual, seductive person. I was always making um, thirst traps in my bedroom as a 15-year-old, little badass, <laughs> shaking my ass, dancing. Um, and then finally, um, I had lost my job. And um, I it's so weird. I, I'm I'm about to throw my dad under the bus, but I owed him money um, for a car that he helped me pay for. And I'm like, oh, fuck, like, I really need to, like, pay him this money because he's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so I just I got into stripping and I told this one guy uh, the story about like my dad because I was young. I looked very young at 19. I looked like I was 16. And he was just like, I don't even want you to be near me. You, you look like a child. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm not, I'm 19. And he's like, what are you doing here? And then I told him, and then he was just like, he had a daughter and he was just like, that's, that's just no. So he gave me $800 and he was like, here's the $500 that you owe your father. And here's $300 and I don't want to see you in here again. And I'm like, sir, you just changed my life. What do you mean? I just made $800 and I've only been here for like an hour. And you think I'm not going to be here again? (laughs) After that, I was just like, I was, I was a stripper. I'm like, I'm a stripper hoe. Don't even, don't call me nothing else. I'm a stripper hoe. And, um, after that, I was, you know, living my best life. I was only stripping, you know, I was young. I didn't really know anything else. Um, I, I guess that you could say I tapped into BDSM a little bit because I had one customer that had um, 
like uh, he he was a Jewish guy that really liked black women to like hit him and arm wrestle him and stuff. I didn't know it was BDSM. I was just like, just run me my money. <laughs> and, you know, it was like all that kind of stuff. But I really loved it. I loved um, I was one of those sensual dancers. I wasn't a twerker. Mm-hmm. I wasn't all, I was also wasn't a pole dancer because ooh, I was too thick to be climbing up that pole. I was like, oh, it's not for me. So I was definitely a low flow queen. But I really learned how to be um an entertainer through the floor. Yes. Um, and I fell in love with it. But after a while, you know, being in New York, the strip club industry, like it just, it started dying. Mm-hmm. It became more and more racist in New York. Oh. Um, it, it was really bad. You know, it got to a point where I wasn't able to work in clubs. Like I'm known as like the natural girl with the fro and, you know, my customers, you know, white and black, a lot of my customers were white, but a lot of them were black, older men as well. And they loved my hair. They loved me being natural. And it got to a point where they were trying to force me to look more like a Dominican girl and oh. wear certain wigs. And I'm like, I'm making great money. Like, the way that I am. And the moment I started switching up, my money started like switching up as well. Um, the club, like a lot of clubs weren't letting me work um, because I was black. Oh, man. Um, and it was just like, it was getting really fucked up for me. And um, that's how I decided to look up strippers from the past. Okay. Because I, I wanted to do this. I wanted to continue for performing like erotic, Mm-hmm. And I was like, what what were strippers in the past? Like, what were they? I know this is not something that's new. Yeah. And not. then that's <laughs> it's not. So burlesque came up and I was like, okay. And I started learning about Josephine Baker and um all different types of different burlesque and um burlesque dancers and entertainers. And I was like, oh, okay, I can do this. And this is like around 2016-17-ish. And um, at that time, I I was just like, all right, I'm about to like really go heavy into this. And I also wanted to be a singer as well. And I'm like, well, burlesque and singing, you know, that, yeah, that goes, hand goes hand. together. So yeah. um, I just started like really developing myself and, you know, utilizing what I learned from the strip club and also learning more about burlesque. Um, but then um, in that time, that's when I met, I call him the devil. I don't call him my abuser because I don't claim him. I like to say that out loud. Um, but um, I met the devil and it, because how did that, I'm trying to, I'm like really like seeing all the different timelines right yeah, now. Chronologically. Um, <laughs> Right. So I had went to went came to Atlanta to visit my mother um, and she wasn't doing well at all. And so I said, all right, you know, I'm about to go back to New York. I'm going to get my money up. I'm going to fix my car because I was taking a cab back and forth to like the strip club and stuff at that point. And um, I was like, all right, I'm going to get my car fixed. I'm going to get my money up so I could get an apartment and you know, do what I wanted to do. And in that process, I started learning about spirituality and learning about meditation and learning about actually being a Black woman. Mm -hmm. And I was just like in so much shock. I was just like, oh my God, like 
black people are more than slaves. <laughs> like that's a thing, you know, where we weren't just slaves. Like we, we do come from royalty and we have our own spiritual system and we, you know, it's not just Christianity. It's not just, you know, Catholic. It's not, it's, it's more to, you know, this spiritual lifestyle. So when I came back to New York, there was this girl that I used to make money with because I eventually got my car fixed and um, we I would go like to Jersey because like I said, it was getting bad in New York. So I was going to Jersey, Connecticut, Philly. I was just, I was out here hustling. Yeah. And she came with me and I started, you know, talking about all the stuff that I was learning and she was like, you know, I know a guy that could teach you these things. Mm. And I'm like, put me on because I'm young. I'm I don't know anything. I come from a very Christian Jamaican home, and I just posted something about like, you know, Jamaica having the most churches ever in like a block radius because <laughs> it's a very Christian country, right? And um, and I come from Long Island, very racist neighborhood, and. I was just like, yeah, I, I need to know. I need to learn something because all I'm seeing is like research online. Like I want to physically speak to somebody. And then that's when I met um, the devil. She was just like, she put me on and then she fell off the face of the earth. Um, um, I will go back into that story. Sure. Into that side of the story because um, I'm going to go back and I'm going to go into the other sex work that I do as well. For sure. Um After, um, after I met him and he gave me permission to come back home because my mom was getting really bad mm -hmm. so she, he gave me permission to come to Atlanta to help out with my mom and that's when I met like I had a podcast at one point and I met my podcast host and it was really doing really well it was a sex positive podcast and we um we met a whole bunch of people we met people like Tayomi um Glamazon who ended up who who's my mentor right now oh, cool. um I met Jazz, Jazz Setting Jasmine and King and um, they, you know, Jasmine ended up being my therapist for a little while to help me heal through the, um, through my trauma. Trauma, yeah. And yeah, so, but also they also represent me as a sex worker as well. Um, so that I ended up meeting them. I, I just met a whole bunch of people. So that's how I ended up also getting into BDSM. Um, through Jasmine and King, um, they introduced me into being pro-submissive and me realizing that, you know, this is the lifestyle that I want to partake in. And then um, I also met like uh, Anya Ivy. Uh, she's a she's a porn star and she taught me a little bit about camming. So I do a little bit of camming as well. Right. Um, so I met a whole bunch of different sex workers who weren't like, I mean, you know, sex work, just like any work has its ups and its downs. You oh, know, yeah. it's just our downs are real, our, our downs because the work that we do is criminalized. Mm -hmm. So people feel like they could do whatever the fuck they want to us. Um, but I was meeting people who were empowered by the work that they do mm -hmm. and they, you know, although the work that they do, it can be demonized by society. They, they decide to turn what they do into light and they educate people and they embrace what they do and they love hoeing and they, <laughs> they embrace that shit. And I'm just like, oh, this is, this is beautiful. Yeah. So I really, I got heavily into camming. So right now what I do, like I said, I, you know, I'm, I'm a pro sub. Um, I'm tapping into being a switch now. I'm learning how to do, um, be a dom right now. 
and um, I do camming. Um, I love it. You know, I do camming three times a week, and I, I'm a content creator. Um, yeah. Like I said, Jasmine and King, they represent me right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have a company called Black X, and mm-hmm. they they help me, um, you know, give me advice for what type of content create to create and helping me manage my OnlyFans and, you know, um, helping me, you know, with a lot of things, you know, even if somebody like comes at me on some like real reckless shit, you know, if I performed for them, um, there was one incident that I performed for them, um, with them and, um, the young lady, she was just, you know, she came at me like, oh, you didn't perform for me. You perform with Jasmine and King. They, they hired you. And man, when I tell you the team, pulled out the lawyers they pulled wow. out this they pulled I was just like yeah <laughs> I performed at your event for 90 minutes don't yeah you know it was like little things like that and I'm like I it it made me because for a while I didn't want to continue sex work but every oh. time I tried to do anything else it was just not working for me it, I always was introduced to some type of sex work for me to do and then I just mm-hmm. continued doing it Right. Wow. Okay. Well, this has been an amazing journey so far, like just hearing everything. And like as sex workers, we we tend to just try a little bit of everything and just trying to find our pathway in terms of like what works best for me or what's what's the best fit for me because we're not always going to drive with anything. Like Some people are like they love the in-person session. Some people love to just be purely online. Just depends. And like you we just try everything, <laughs> which is which is fun. So I'm really glad that you're really trying to like you're really finding your niche right now. You're finding what's working for you, which I think is great because it's constantly a journey. To be honest, it is. Yeah, it's a constant journey because you're you're always growing, and we're always taught to stick to one job and do one job, but we're always growing. So why can't our careers grow with us? You know, so I'm, I'm, you know, my goal is to be a sex therapist. You know, oh, cool. I will be called doctor at one point. Yeah, you know, I love this. manifest. Exactly. And it's something that I've always wanted, but I never knew how to get into it. So I dropped out of college. But now, like, being in sex work really taught me, like, okay, yeah, I definitely want to be a sex therapist. Mm, yeah. And then we'll, we'll have to get you back in the show to talk about that once that happens. So, <laughs> Keep that in the stars. <laughs> but London, I'd love for you to maybe continue on your story too because you started telling it. You'd met the devil um, and basically a girl you had been working with before that you make money with. She introduced you to him, if I understand that right. And then she maybe ghosted or disappeared after that. Or Yeah, if you wanted to continue on, that'd be awesome to hear. Yeah, so around that time, like I said, it was around like 2016, 17. Um, I want to say, yeah, it was 2017. Um, like I said, I went, I came back to New York and it was October of 2017. I remember the exact date. It was Halloween day um, that I met him. Um, yeah, she told me that she knew somebody that could teach me about spirituality um, and, you know, point me in the right direction or whatever it is. And so I'm like, yeah, put put me on. I, I need to know. And me being young, I was like 25, 26. I was young. You know, I'm 30 now. Um, but, I, you know, I was very young at that time, very naive, didn't know anything. And 
um, you know, she's just, she, I trusted her, you know, and it's not often where I trust people in the strip club. You know, I never really, it was the first time I started, you know, traveling with people, you know, I usually do it on my own. So I was just like, you know, you seem like you to yourself, you're an Aquarius like me, you know? So I'm like, yeah, like put me on, excuse me. And she, um, when I met him, it was crazy because a lot of things were happening to for me not to meet him. Like everything that could go wrong in the process of me, like the way the universe works and my spirit guys, they were really trying to protect me. But stubborn me, I was, I'm not going to sit here and say I wasn't stubborn. Like I'm stubborn. I didn't know what signs were at the time yet. Okay. Um, so when I met him, it, um, immediately he told me that me and her were not allowed to talk to each other because we were her godchildren, his godchildren. Um, oh. I'm putting air quotes. Yeah. And, um, he was a godfather. He was portraying himself as a spiritual godfather um, in the Santeria. He was trying to say he was in Santeria and it was just a lot of like bullshit that was going on at the time. Yeah. Um, It was just a lot of lies. He, when I first met him, it was, like I said, it was Halloween day and I'm sorry, like I'm kind of like jambling because I'm trying not to like go too deep into detail because I do still get a little emotional and get nervous when I tell the story. Of course. Um, but it the um the rape immediately started. Um he told me that I had to cleanse myself of my sins through sex. Um, so I had to take all of my clothes and I had to, you know, close my eyes. And then immediately his penis was in my face. And I was in a space where I didn't know how to run, say no. I didn't know what was going to happen. So, and again, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm coming from a Christian home, even though I was trying to like, separate myself from Christianity, I still had that embedded in me that the work that I do is a sin, you know? And, you know, I, I've tapped into full service sex work like one time and, I, you know, I told him and he was like, you got to cleanse yourself of that and this, that, and the other. And at that moment, and this is where people like start to think that because I wasn't transported to multiple people that I wasn't sex trafficked, but it's like I was introduced to him and he wanted to keep me to himself. Yeah. And I was his sex slave. Initially I became his sex slave. I saw him every weekend, every, every day, anytime he wanted me, he had me, he, he would pull up on me. I would, he would, I would have to meet him somewhere. I would have to give him money um, because initially he was saying that he was doing a reading and I eventually like came to a point where it felt like I was indebted to him um, financially and Mm. through my body um, because of this. Um, And this went on for about two years. Yeah. Um, It was, you know, it was it was a point of i felt like i was getting like drained like 
by a vampire Hmm. um, because it was just, he, I'm sorry, I'm just taking a second here. (laughs) Take as much time as you need. I'm taking a second here. Yeah, absolutely. Take as much time as you need. I I mean, I'm really curious to see, like, um, I don't know, and only if you want to share, but I'm curious to hear, like, how did this all escalate? Um, was there any grooming involved? Like, what kind of psychological mind games did he play with you? Were there any kind of coercion or control that he was exerting on you for you to feel like you were indebted to him? Like, yeah. what led to that? Um, so there was definitely, like, a mental manipulation Mm -hmm. Um, he told me that because it was spirituality and I knew nothing about it, he told me that I will get cursed. My family would get cursed. Mm -hmm. Um, that if anything happens, if, if I leave him, you know, something will happen to my family. Um, Mm -hmm. every now and then, like, so it happened, like every 21 days we would have to do like a quote unquote reading. Um, which it wasn't a reading, you know, I know what readings are now and it was just, um, it, it, and and it was supposed to be like some sort of ritual, but I can't even tell you what it was by the things that was going on and that I was forced to do, um, in that setting at those times. Um, it was a lot of, he definitely manipulated me out of fear because I was very like, when it came to my family, I don't play about my family. And when it came about me, like, I don't want to get cursed. Like, I'm like, yeah. I, 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 no one wants that. And so I'm like, all right, you know, I'm going to be loyal to you. Um, he made sure to let me know that if I had sex with anybody else, something would happen to me. Um, that if I even hugged anybody, that something happened to me. So like it came to a point where I wasn't even getting physical content, contact. And when I moved to Georgia, like back in New York, it was like me and my friends, we weren't really like, like that. Um, the only time I was allowed to like get physical contact with anybody was when I was working. So he allowed me to work. He was like, you work and you go out, you get that money and you bring it to me, you know, like, you you do, you know, stuff like that. And I'm like, all right. Cause he was like, you gotta, you gotta pay, you know, the spirits, you gotta, you know, do that stuff. And I'm like, all right. And me being somebody who is not playing about my spiritual, like I really wanted to like be good at my spiritual growth and really succeed at this. So I'm listening to him. And because the girl that brought me to him, I trusted her. And even though I had like these feelings and these thoughts, cause my intuition was screaming at me, like, yeah, this is not good for you. Red flag. Red flag. I, it was a huge red flag, but that girl, I was like, she, I trusted her, you know? Yeah. And a lot of these predators, they bring, they utilize women to, to create that trust bond. Um, Mm -hmm. And the one time, cause I guess he felt that I was kind of like distancing. And this was when I was about to go to Atlanta. And like I said, he gave me permission to go, but I had to, he, um, he gave me permission to go to Atlanta. And um, at that time, he allowed me to go see somebody else to get a reading. And um, this was the most real reading I felt that I've had the whole time. And 
in that whole conditioning that he was giving me, he was saying that, you know, you, you have to do what I say, you have to be good with, um, good with me. And then you'll be able to move on to the next level and meet people and meet people within the, the community and the spiritual community and stuff like that. So like, as I'm here and I'm working for him and doing these things and, you know, giving him money and doing whatever he asks me to do, I'm like, all right, finally, I get, I I make it to the next level. Like I'm there. And this person, he's part of the IFA community. IFA is a, um, it's a spiritual community. Um, I really even don't even really know the full definition of what it is, but it's definitely mm-hmm. an African community. Okay. Um, and he gave me a reading and it was on point. Everything was like, on. Po- I was like, all right, cool. This yeah. makes sense. You know, like, all right, this is real. You know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, crazy. This man that I have been, you know, that has been, you know, taking my body this whole, for these past how long is not lying to me, but it was it was a psychology tactic for on his part totally um it's all manipulation it was all manipulation it was and he also was trying to get me to just like the other with like the young lady that brought me to him yeah he was having he was trying to get me to recruit other women as well um because you know he was like you need to you know you need to bring somebody you have to bring somebody i i need you to bring somebody and it was like all the time but what he failed to realize was that i'm like the only person in my place right now you know i was at that point i was homeless i like i said the money was like really really going bad in the strip club like i really had nothing and all i had was my was my need to grow my spiritual awareness. And so my friends, you know, graduated college and, you know, have these careers and they're not having the problems that I have. And I don't have friends in the strip club, just the girl that we are, have mutual knowings of. Yeah. And I'm just like, all right, I'm trying to. And then I'm like, well, I have these guys that need your, need help. And he's like, no, it has to be a woman. So, Mm -hmm. you know, later on when I, you know, started being aware of what was going on, I started realizing like, this is something that you do. Like you're, you're basically running an occult and Mm -hmm. you're manipulating women into thinking that you're being a spiritual advisor, spiritual guide to a, a godfather, quote unquote. And in reality, you're actually not, you know, you're, you're using this, this, a little bit of knowledge that you do have because he was knowledgeable. He read books, you know, which I wasn't, that was another thing. I wasn't allowed to research what was being done to me. I wasn't allowed Um, to research anything. If I needed to know anything, I had to ask him because he knows best. He's asked permission all the time for a lot of the things, everything. I wasn't allowed to do anything. I was, and it came to a point where one day I did, you know, I was just feeling crazy. You know, I, I, I met a guy that I liked and, um, eventually, cause I didn't know, cause when I came to Atlanta, I thought that I was based finally free. Like I was on to the next level. So when I meet this, when I met this guy, um, I let him know and he lost his mind. And then I had to hop on a flight back to New York immediately. I was going back and forth to New York and Atlanta every three months because that was what we had to do. 
And after a while, I was just like, this doesn't feel like spirituality. I'm drained. I feel I feel sick. And I I was, you know, I I came to a point where I wasn't even showering for weeks because I was so depressed, you know, and I was just like, I I didn't get out of bed. I didn't eat. I didn't sleep. I was just in bed. And I was one thing told me, you know, just look it up, look up exactly what's happening. So I looked up, you know, Godfather's having sex. And there was so many articles about what I was going through and the things that I was experiencing. And it was like, Godfathers are not even allowed to see their godchildren naked. They're not supposed to like, this is not a thing. And I'm just like, I felt like I literally felt like my soul leave my body at that very moment because I couldn't believe because I'm like, I'm a stripper. You know, I'm, I'm I live in the Bronx. Like I'm out here like I'm I'm street smart. You know, I know better. And I couldn't believe that, you know, I'm you know, there's nobody who is dumb who 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 has gone through this. But at that moment, I felt so stupid. And I couldn't believe that I was so stupid enough to fall for something like this and to even allow this happen for two years because I was in my, I was numb. Wow. That's a long time for this to be going on for. Like, London, what, what was it? about that that moment that you're like, you know what, I'm just going to look it up. Like, I'm not going to ask for permission. I'm going to do what I think is best for me. Like, what – how did you get to that point? So I was at a point where, you know, I was with my podcast host, um, my co-host. I was um, I was getting ready to go back to New York. She, she didn't live too far from the airport. And – he kept saying, like, you need to come back home. You know, I have a job for you. You could live, you could live here. And, um, you know, the thing was, I was always chasing money. I was always chasing a bag. And he knew that. He knew I was always chasing the bag. So he knew exactly, you know, what was going to strike that. Oh, he was like, yeah, you um, you can make like $1,200 a week. Like, I'll get a job for you. And I'm like, okay. Mm, and so yeah. I was going to go to New York and I'm going to be honest with you. It was like something in my spirit. It was like my, my God, my grandmother, God rest her soul. All my grandmothers, like my ancestors were like the same ancestors that were fighting for me to not meet him the first time. Right. They were like fighting this time. And I was just like, something's not right. Yeah, something I cannot, up. I can't go. Like, I really can't. Like, if I go, I don't feel life on the end of this rope. You know, I don't feel like I'm going to either, I don't feel like I'm going to come back home or I'm going to come back home alive. And I didn't feel like I was going to take my own life. So after that, like my, my, my old co-host, she was like, you're not going. I'm like, nah, I'm not, I'm not going to go. And she doesn't know what's happening. You know, she just thought I was going back home for whatever. And, um, the next day I went home and I'm just up and I'm just like, I can't believe I did this. Like I, I literally just deceived him and like, I'm having anxiety and I just couldn't sleep one night. And it was like, it was four o'clock in the morning either three or four o'clock in the morning and something just in my mind, you know, like I, I have a lot of guides that are here protecting me and they speak to me clearly. And they said, look it up, 
look it up right now. And I didn't even fight it. And I looked it up. And like I said, you know, I just felt like my soul just got ripped out of me because I was just like, this is everything that I'm experiencing. And he told me that people are gonna are not gonna understand what what's happening in this community or what we're doing. And don't look it up. You know, you're not you're, they're gonna give you the wrong influence. But it's like you're giving me the wrong influence. Yeah, 100%. you're the one who's lying and you know deceiving women and raping women and yeah. um, getting them pregnant and oh my you God. know. Cause I did, I did get pregnant at that time. Like during that, you know, time I was about five months pregnant and he was forcing me, like I, it took me about almost five months to, to get an abortion because I didn't want to, you know, but he kept threatening me. He kept threatening my family. He kept saying that if you don't get this, you know, get this done, you know, you might end up dying. I may have to ask you to jump off a bridge so that you could cleanse. And I would have done it. Oh my God. I was at a point where I would have, you know, actually jumped. That's the thing that he used to say a lot. If I tell you to jump off a bridge, you're going, you're going to have to listen to me and trust me. And I was so manipulated at that point. And I trusted him so much that I was like, oh, I'll jump off a bridge for you. Yeah. I mean, he's got you completely brainwashed. Yes, completely. completely brainwashed. And the fact that he kept threatening your family, you know, and then just forcing you to, to do all these things. And, and in your mind, you're like, oh, well, I can't question anything that he's saying. Like, yeah, that's not a really great place to be in. Jesus Christ. I mean, well – it sounded like you had an awakening at that moment. Um, what were the next steps that happened after that? How, how did you proceed after that? Was he calling you, trying to get you to do this job? Or like what was the aftermath of that? Like how were you able to get out of this situation? So because I was still like really confused and I really didn't know like anything at all, um, my um, co-host, she, I remember she would tell me about, you know, she, she, and this is why I trusted her. You know, I still had a lot of trust issues when it came to this, but once she was in a strip club, you know, she had a corporate job, you know, she's just, I, I hate the word, but I had to say the word, but she was regular, you know, she was a regular person, vanilla, you know, for yeah. the most part. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she, um, she will always say like, yeah, you know, I just went and got a reading, you know, but it was like an EFA reading. And like I said, like, that was the most like traditional and the most real reading that I've ever felt like I got. So, um, I hit her up when I hit her up. I was like, hey, um, that guy that gave you a reading, do you, do you have his information? Um, because I, I hit up the first guy that gave me a reading and I was just asking him certain things. And because this is now I'm, I've already done the research and I was just like asking him and he was really acting funny mm. um, because I was like, I, I want to get on the phone with you and ask you. And he was like, well, I can't get on the phone. Why don't you just text me and ask me? And mm. I'm like, I could wait. He was like, just text me. And then, you know, he was like, you know, yeah, but he was like, I told him and he was like, he basically said like, Godfathers are not supposed to do this, this, that, any other, because the man, the devil, he told me that he was this guy's teacher. 
And then when I told him that, he was like, how is he my teacher? And you had to come to me for it. Like, he was really, like, upset. Yeah. But at the same time, like, I just didn't trust anybody that had to do with him. Right. So I was like, the only thing I knew was Aoife at the point, at that point. And I, I still don't know too much about it because I'm still, like, I still have PTSD when it comes to it. But you know, my homegirl, I was like, I feel like this is kind of like a sign for me to still get like some tour, like I, not even just a reading. I just want to speak to somebody. And um, he was just like, you know, he gave me like a free reading. Um, he understood like the, um, I, cause I was crying hysterically. I was just, I was just like, I don't know what's happening. Like, I don't know what I'm, what, what this is. And um, he was just like, I'm going to do some work for you. Um, you just have to make sure to not answer his phone calls. And I was just like, okay. He was like, just don't answer his phone calls. Just trust yourself and trust that you are going to make it past this. So even after that, I was still kind of fucked up. You yeah. Know, I was still like broken. And I still like had a lot of trust issues, especially when it came to men. For sure. Um, when I came to Atlanta, um, cause I was moving full throttle, you know, stripping mentality. Even if we, even if we go through shit, we still, we still chasing that bag. We still like chasing whatever it is we have our mind on. And, um, I met this young lady, Naomi Vousey, and she, um, was, you know, was my burlesque coach. And that's the initial reason why I went to her, but she ended up being like a soul sister to me. Mm. And, one day I was just like really like lost and broken and, you know, crying. I was on the verge of taking my life. And wow. um, I didn't know who to call. I'm like, I don't know who to speak to. Like, I don't, I don't, I didn't know. I, I felt so alone and I felt so dumb. And um, she called me for something else. And then she was, she heard my voice and she was like, what's wrong? Yeah. And um. I'm sorry. I'm getting a little emotional because no. I'm going back to that moment. Yeah, no, that's okay. Let's um, take but um, after a while, she just listened to me. Like she just listened. She didn't say anything. She just listened. And then a couple of days later, um, I went to her house because we were supposed to train. And again, like my energy was just low. I, I couldn't do anything. <laughs> and um she held me like she set up incense and she had sage and she gave me water and she sat down and she put me in her lap and she held me like a child and she didn't say anything she didn't say I had to she was just just let me do whatever and I was kind of resistant because I'm not used to that you know yeah. even my own mother like we don't we don't have that type of relationship. Right. Um, but at that moment, um, I knew that God sent me her to to have somebody He's like some a sister. Yeah. Exactly. A support system, some type of community. And um, yeah, so she she has definitely been like a rock for me at um during that time. She mm -hmm. she was, you know, she I call her my healer, you know, she's she's my healer. Mm -hmm. We um spent a lot of time together um during those years because I escaped in 
2019, October of 2019. So I met him October of 2017 and I escaped October 2nd of 2019. And, um, I was about to still go full throttle, you know, I was about to go hard with, I was about to do like a Atlanta tour, you know, with burlesque yeah. and then, you know, the world shut down. Yeah. I had to, I had to heal, you know? Yeah. And that's when I really started going like really hard with my, with my healing journey. Um, yeah. My home girl, you know, she, she introduced me to spiritual baths, which was completely different from what I know because, you know, this, the devil would give me quote unquote spiritual baths, but it was nothing. Yeah. Um, it was, it was nothing. It was just weird. Um, but this, you know, teaching me about different flowers and herbs that have different, um, and entities and, um, powers, magical entities within them, like, you know, eucalyptus for healing and, and protection and stuff like that. Um, so we made like a spiritual bath and um, learning about intentions and um, really like meditating and praying and, you know, st- staying outside and meditating outside and fire and, you know, fixing candles and stuff like that. I really like started tapping into that really heavy and I went on a hiatus. I almost didn't come back. You know, it was, you know, (laughs) I almost didn't come back. I almost got myself a tiny home and a piece of land and disappeared. Yeah. I I was about to, because I was like, I could, I could live like this for the rest of my life. But God said, I have a mission, you know, I have, and, you know, I'm going to kind of backtrack just a little bit because, you know, the July before I met the devil, I was at a um, my best friend's mom's birthday party. I've been going there for 10 years. So it's, you know, I know everybody that's there, but I was drunk as hell. You know, um, somebody came up to me um, and was just like, my queen, you have a mission. Like you, you just, you just stepped onto a path and you can't give up. You know, you can't, you can't give up. It will be a sin unto you and your family. Continue fighting. And honestly, you know, every time I, you know, wanted to give up, no matter what it was, I always like heard his voice saying, don't give up. You know, you have, you have a mission, like, and my mission, even right now, like this to me is like one of my missions, you know, I went through what I went through to be able to heal myself, to able to be able to know what it's like to heal, to mm-hmm. be able to know um, what it's like to to feel what I felt and to speak up for women or even men, you know, yeah, totally there could be men that go through this but to speak up for any victim that has been through the things that I've been through. Wow, that is such a story. And just to hear it in your own words like this is it's just so powerful and and like for those listening, yeah, sure, this is definitely a different type uh, of trafficking that can happen, but it still contains those elements that are that are kind of um, needed, I guess per se for for a trafficking offense to occur. So again, like you were being 
coerced into this, this situation. He had manipulated you. He had brainwashed you. He had made threats in your family, um, just kind of hovering all this negativity, just hovering over you and then forcing you to have sex with him. Um, like this is classic for me, classic trafficking case. And like um, this, this happens unfortunately just too often. And we don't always hear these types of stories, which is really why I want to bring you on the show because, again, like we're just so used to the narrative that's like, you know, taken from a scene from Taken or something, like where it's really glamorized and that's not the only situation that sex trafficking can occur. Can occur exactly. Right? And I do want to read off because I did make a post um, after somebody decided to come to my page and try to tell me about my life and yeah trying to educate um, you <laughs> try to educate me on my on my experience um but the different forms of trafficking is bonded labor involuntary sex um involuntary sex slavery debt bondage and involuntary servitude amongst migrant laborers involuntary domestic servitude forced child labor child soldiers sex trafficking and prostitution and children exploited for commercial sex. Now, I could honestly sit here and say that four of those bulletins are things that I experienced. So bonded, totally. that I experienced. So bonded labor, involuntary sex slavery, um, even debt bondage, um, mm -hmm. involuntary um, domestic servitude. Those are four things that I experienced within the two years that I had to, I was forced to go through at the, at that moment. Right. Yeah. I mean, and thank you for reading that out too, because, you know, people just, again, and I've said this before, but people just believe in the one definition. But unfortunately, a lot of survivors maybe can't or don't adhere to that quote unquote definition, which a, a lot of the story, a lot of their stories and their experiences go one underreported and then therefore cause a very, very severely underrepresented group of people where they can't, they feel like they can't tell their story at all. So I think it's so important to, to, to bring this to light uh, just because we, we need more voice, more voices like yours saying that this, this occurs and this happens and that your voice is validated. Your story is validated because yeah, there was just so many people commenting like on your post, on your page, on that other podcast page saying like, oh, this girl was in traffic. This didn't happen. So that means she wasn't trafficked. She wasn't a victim. This never happened. Um, and like, I can't even imagine how that might make you feel. Yeah, it definitely made me feel like I, I definitely had to tap out for a couple of weeks and again, tap into like my healing again and give myself spiritual baths because, you know, it was very triggering, you know, for people to even say that, oh, you were in a relationship with this man. No, I was not. Yeah. <laughs> I was not in a Let relationship with this man. Let me be clear. Like yeah. this was not a relationship. This was not voluntary, you know? Yeah. I want voluntarily wanted to learn about spiritual awareness and want to get spiritual guidance, but everything that happened 
in the moment where I thought that I was going to get some tor- some such, some sort of spiritual guidance, it was the exact opposite. And I didn't know how to leave and defend myself because I was in such a space. I was in a vulnerable space at that moment. Oh, like there's a man in my house and in my space right now where I don't know if he's going to pull something out or he's going to beat me and or whatever may happen. So I'm just like, I can't leave. And it's just like, I don't, it's it's just like a lot of people need to just be very careful with the words that they say. Yeah. Um, when it comes to people like me and because, you know, when people see my story, they can relate to it. But then when they see the comments, they're like, oh, okay, I'm crazy. But it's like, no, baby, you're not crazy. You know, you've experienced what you experienced and your story is valid. And, you know, you have the right to open up, especially like, you know, as for a while, I thought I was crazy. You know, I I still haven't gone to the police about it because I'm still trying to figure out what to do, how to do it or whatever may be, because a lot of people um, don't see, you know, the work that spiritual spiritualists do as mm-hmm. valid. But yeah. then also, again, being a sex worker, you know, our work is criminalized and the work that we do is, you know, not seen as valid to society. So if we do go to the police, if we do do this and it's just like, well, what kind of work do you do? What's this, any other? And it's just yeah. like, well, I'm this. And it's just, are you sure it's not a customer? Are you sure it wasn't, yeah. you know, because even prostitution being one of the um, forms of trafficking, a lot of people won't think that, you know, a yeah. lot of people will be like, oh, you know, prostitutes are, they choose this life. And it's like, no, they chose to have somebody to guide them in this industry. And mm-hmm. these people decided to take full advantage of them. And exploit them. Completely. Yeah, that's like the main part about uh, any kind of trapping is the exploitation. And I feel like you were definitely exploited in your situation because he was disguising um, this whole spiritual journey with you. Like he was disguising that under guise and misleading you and manipulating you under that to make you become more vulnerable so you would just do whatever the hell he wanted. So – and also just going back to an early th- earlier thing that you said too, like you weren't in a relationship with this man, but a lot of trafficking victims start to be in relationships with their abusers and then they slowly, you know, exploit them and forcing them to do sexual acts or pornography or things that they did not want to do or that they did not sign up for. Um, I did an episode um, that isn't released yet, but will be released by the time this is out uh, with Maya Romera, and that happened to her. She got into this relationship with this amazing guy. She's going to change her life, thousands and thousands of dollars, lifestyle change, and then she was just locked in this apartment, forcing to be on cam eight hours a day, every single freaking day for like six months, and she never saw any of that money, and again, these are different forms of trafficking and how um, how different it is from the standard quote-unquote narrative that's out there. So mm-hmm. it's you know just like, women, yeah. You know how many women I know that there's, you know, I'm not going to say their name because this is their business, but there's well-known strippers out there that I've had conversations with that has told me that 
they were tricked into a pimp situation. You know, they fell in love with a man and this man was, you know, had money and he was selling this dream. And then next thing you know, she's being pimped out. Yeah. So it's like, even you're right. You know, even if, you know, even if somebody is in a relationship with somebody, you know, that person you're in a relationship with can exploit you and traffic you. And it's just like, what, because you were in a relationship with them that your, your story or what you escaped is not valid. And it's like that person was, was trafficked and was forced into pimp culture. Mm -hmm. And it's like, a lot of people need to understand, like, again, you know, the different, the many different levels of this. And it's not like taken. It's not, you know, just no, children. Sorry. It's not being transported yeah. from country to country. It's it yeah. happens in your own home. Yeah. Yeah. It happens in your own home. It happens right here in North America. It's not just Eastern European or like in Southeast Asia. It's not just those stories. It's also just right here in our own backyard. So I'm just really glad that we were able to bring this to light and you were able to just be brave and share your story. And I know some parts were really difficult for you to share. So, so thank you for just wearing your vulnerability on your sleeve and just coming on the show. Cause it takes a lot of bravery to talk about that. And again, to show and hopefully kind of be a voice for 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 those that this might have happened to as well because I'm sure there are many, many other victims that are out there that this kind of similar situation might have happened to. So um, London, I did want to quickly go into the siren effect as well in terms of like your healing process, how you've been healing, are you still healing? what that looks like, and then quickly go into some q and I know we're kind of going over time here, but if you have some time to chat a little bit more, I'd love to hear all about that. Of course I have time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the siren effect. So I definitely, I created that in 2018. Um, well, I created the name in 2018. Um, I was... It started off as just, you know, wanting to do like a burlesque troupe and, you know, teaching women how to dance. And um, by the time 2019 came around, you know, I escaped and it became more, you know, I started really realizing what, how much healing my sensual movement had on myself. You know, it was more than teaching women about an eight count where it was teaching women to find their sensuality and honor their sensuality, not for any man, but for yourself. And, you know, the men will follow, you know, because you're <laughs> pouring into yourself and they love that shit. They love the light that you pour into yourself. They attract to that. So, um, so I created that um, to, to produce burlesque shows and burlesque entertainment and to also have a healing, a therapeutic healing safe space for women of color mm -hmm. to freely be themselves as sensual as they want to. If they want to take off their shirt and have their titties out while they dance, baby, do what you want. Just as long as when you touch your titties, you touch them with intention. Yeah. You know, you, you allow yourself to know that you love these titties, that these titties are beautiful, that they produce life. They, you know, yeah. you, you, you do it with intention is very important. Um, 
I, I learned um, that a lot of, you know, the people that are drawn to me are people that want to learn more about them and their sensual power. So um, the siren effect, that's my baby, you know, she was born in February of 2018. And I work diligently to figure out what are the best ways to um, help women be more be more sensual without the stigma that society has um, mm-hmm. when it comes to it, you know, um, be sexy, yeah. be erotic, you know, dance like a stripper. You yeah. know, a lot of us, a lot of people want to be like us, but it's like, you know, tap into the sensual healing side of things. Um, also, uh, I'm sorry, what was the next part of the question? Oh, yeah. I just wanted to know, like, how how are you currently healing from this, you're from your trauma and how are you able to overcome that? Um, just because I always think it's helpful for, for you to share your story too in case anyone else is listening out yeah, there. Um, so right now, um, you know, it's it's always a journey. You know, it's it's I feel like it's going to be a never-ending journey, but I find beauty in it. You know, I, I always find beauty into it. So also, you know, uh, kind of backtrack, I also have afternoon tea parties. Um, called Afternoon Teas. Um, And that came about, you know, me sitting down at my altar and drinking tea with my ancestors and Mm -hmm. putting on like the best clothes and dressing my best because I want to look good for my ancestors and, you know, having my, having my teddies. And sometimes I feel like a little child. Um, I remember one time I was, I was really going through, I was tired of these niggas, like these dudes out here. Like I was just so sick of them. And um, I remember I was, you know, I was holding my, my grandfather, he's a veteran and I was holding his flag um, that my mom gave me and I was just crying. Like I just wanted like masculine energy that wouldn't lie to me anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just crying in front of my altar. I had the tea, I gave them tea and I just felt like a masculine presence just hold me. Wow. And I felt like a little girl again. You know, I, I, Mm -hmm. I, it's like, I saw, I visually saw myself in my grandfather's space as a three-year-old, as a four-year-old. And that's when I started like tapping into like my little space, you know, being a little like part of my submissive identities is being a little and that is a form of age regression. So I age regress from the ages of four to seven mm-hmm. and I play dress up. I drink tea. I color. I do all different types of things that I did when I was from the ages of four to seven. And it was from that very moment of me feeling my grandfather holding me out of just like, I just want to feel protected by masculine presence. And now, you know, that's the type of things that I do. Like healing could go from ha- making a spiritual bath, which I still do. You know, I make my spiritual baths. I put on my all white, I cover my head and I get my herbs and my Florida waters or whatever other colognes is necessary for that bath. And I make my bath, but it could also be me putting on my favorite princess movie and um, dressing up and having a tea party with myself or with my friends. 
Um, so those are like a couple of things that I do to, to help heal. And again, you know, tapping into the BDSM world, um, more like, you know, I have a couple of friends, you know, that are doms that I don't have a dom. I do self collar. Um, this is my collar. I have, um, I don't know if anybody could see, but I I self collared and I had a self collaring ceremony for myself because, I don't want to have to wait for a dom to give myself discipline or to give myself protocol or the beauty about being a submissive is that we have the power, but also us having the power means that we have power over ourselves and we know exactly what we want and what we don't want. And for me, um, when I placed this collar on myself, I was promising myself that I will forever protect myself. I will forever trust myself and my intuition, that I will never second guess myself in any situation and that I will always grow to be the best me that I can possibly be. And even in my times of weakness, when I feel like I just want to cry it out or just want don't want the blinds to be open, that it's okay to be present in that moment and to feel and to honor myself in that very moment and, you know, speak life in myself when I'm ready, but make sure not to, you know, speak down on myself um, Mm -hmm. ever. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of stuff and so many fascinating things that I haven't heard of, at least not on the show, but I mean, I heard on your other episode too, but I mean, that's like a whole other episode there right there right now. (laughs) But I'd love to, to, yeah, pick your brain about that um, after we stop recording. But I know there are a couple questions that came for you, specifically London. Um, Maybe you can go into those for right now. Cool. So the first one comes in from a fellow sex worker, um, Brian. How do real survivors and fully consenting non-coerced workers talk together to create a comprehensive harm reduction policy without defaulting to the predatory rescue industry model. How do we take back that narrative? Can you repeat that question? That was a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. And I think you just worded it so perfectly too. But right. um, just to be really PC, but how do you how do real survivors and fully consenting non-coerced workers talk together to create comprehensive harm reduction policy without defaulting to the predatory rescue industry model? I feel like community is very important and education is very important. Um, Like I said, um, I have people in my circle like Jasmine and King and um, Tayomi and um, Lidosaurus Rex, Tiana. Like I have really dope people in my circle that if they, they, they have platforms that they've created to not only protect themselves, but to protect other sex workers, um, to give them the proper education moving forward. And I also feel like us as sex workers, um, everything doesn't have to be about money. Um, it's, it's, I noticed that a lot of things, like when it comes to educating ourselves and granted, yeah, we do deserve our coin to educate, but I am so open, you know, when people come to me, I, I honestly, I, a lot of times I say, I don't check my DMs, but I check my DMs. I just don't check my DMs for like 
the people like you know the creeps <laughs> yeah, yeah totally <laughs> i don't check them for the creeps but you know for for the people who are really like genuinely trying to get into this world and this industry i try to be as much service as i possibly can um i feel like a lot of sex workers should at least try to be as open to answering questions and, you know, again, still being aware of your energy and not, you know, being too open with your energy, but as much as possible, you know, put yourself out there to answer questions and be there for the babies that are coming in. Yeah. You know, because listen, the people that are on my, that, that are in my circle right now, I I went to them and asked them questions, you know. I I go to them all the time and this is before I even like kind of like really knew them. You know, this is when I'm like, "Oh my god, I look up to you." And they're like, "Oh yeah, here. Here's this. Here's that. Here's this resource. Here's that resource." So, um really just having that having that community that is resourceful. And again, like the people that I name, I name them for a reason because they are very resourceful and they work really diligently to protect sex workers, especially sex workers of color. Amazing. That's awesome. I really would love to second that too. It's just, we have an amazing community out there that we can really, really learn from each other. And um, I know this like this question in terms of like the the predatory rescue model that happens a lot, um, but I usually feel that comes from outsiders looking in. Um, I don't really know if I, or at least I haven't really experienced within our community us trying to save each other from other parts of our industry. Like I think it's more just like outsiders trying to help us, trying to rescue us, trying to save us quote unquote, from um, our professions. But I think there's still a lot of learning for that side to do, I find, Um, and really trying to deepen their understanding um, just because there's only so much they can know until they've actually lived through it. Not saying that they like, for example, like academia, like um, there's a lot of research out there, but I think there needs to be like a lot of ways that they can incorporate our voices in there. This also goes for like policymakers, lawmakers, and stuff as well. Um, I'm not sure if this really answers your question, Brian, but right. I, just chime, I just want to chime in <laughs> as well. But such a I such a it. complex question, very complex. <laughs> <laughs> and this is, I think, this would take a bit more research. Maybe I'll have to do a, um, another episode on this, or maybe answer this on Twitter, but. How do the laws differ from the U.S. and Canada when it comes to trafficking? I'm not sure if you would know at the top of your head. <laughs> um, I don't know off the top of my head, but I do know that a lot of the laws that are are present now, like, you know, I think they have like the Earn It Act that's out now, and then they have the, I think it's SESTA-FOSTA. Um, a lot of these laws that they have that are geared towards helping sex trafficking victims and helping stop sex trafficking, I feel like, and you know, people could say I'm wrong, but I'm gonna be honest, I feel like it hasn't made anything better. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel yeah. like it has honestly made a lot of things worse because it's it's not really targeting sex trafficking, it's targeting sex. Yeah. And it's an umbrella. 
yeah, it's 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 targeting the the sex and the act of sex. So a lot of people are being deplatformed, and a lot of you know not just sex workers, but sex educators, and a lot of sex educators are not able to speak on certain topics without you know being silenced and shut down and completely. And it's like it's really not giving a full like a full form of protection for, for the trafficking victims. Cause here I am a sex worker that, you know, has been trafficked and uh, like people attacked me for, you know, expressing my form of, you know, being trafficked. And that, that's a form that, that's something that needs to be educated. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of the platforms, like I, I remember I even wrote something on it and my, 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 um, my post got taken down because I was talking, I, I said sex trafficking a lot yeah. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, this is not something that you need to be talking about. You can't talk about this. And it's like, so what is these acts for? What are these laws actually for? Um, I don't know if this is answering your question, but, um, I'm just, you know, a lot of the acts need to really, you know, I think that they need to really um, add, add um, people like us in the room mm-hmm. um, so that they can have a little bit more insight on how we could help protect children, women who have been, you know, targeted by this, this ugly um, culture. Yeah, trafficking. Absolutely. I mean, we've talked. I've talked about this ad nauseum on this show too. But yeah, we like we, as we all know, sex workers, and we get conflated a lot with being a victim of human trafficking or sex trafficking. And again, there is a really distinct alienation between the two. They're two different things. One party is being exploited; the other party is consenting. Um, but it's really murky with these laws to find out and define, okay, who is being trafficked and who is consenting. They're getting that confused too much. And oftentimes it's just we're all just thrown into the same bucket, <laughs> which doesn't help things. Um, I do know. Oh, sorry. Linda, do you want to say something? Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, I don't feel like they're doing the proper research and the proper polls and talking to the right people. I just think that they're just allowing one group of people to come in and then that's just that's just what it is. But it's like they really just need to like really like, you know, take that initiative to say, OK, um, let's talk to this group of people. Let's talk to the sex working industry. Let's yeah. not silence them for once and let's actually speak to them and look at them like they are actual humans. Yeah. And then let's talk to the vanilla groups and let's talk to these kids and let's talk to, I feel like they're not taking that time out. And it makes me wonder like, what is this act? What are these acts really for? Sure. If you're not taking that initiative in reality. Oh yeah. That's, that's really great. I, I think you really nailed it on the head there. I, I would really say that like give sex workers a seat at the table. Oftentimes we're just never incorporated. No one ever asks us for our opinions. No one ever wants to include us. They just make assumptions on our behalf, which is wrong. And so many dumb bimbos that don't know anything, but we're (laughs) business women and men that work for ourselves and file our own taxes. Like we're we're pretty smart. Like we we our our freaking customers are politicians. Yeah. 
<laughs> and sorry, this this question was from Felicity, but um, and sorry that we weren't able to answer it super in depth. But I did do a little bit of reading, and I do know I, Felicity had mentioned there's a Trafficking Victims Protection Act, which is enacted into in the year 2000. That's in, in the USA. Um, I do know that in the Canadian Criminal Code that human trafficking is a federal offense, and this also obviously goes in U.S. legislation as well. And we also have in Canada the Immigration and Refugee Protection Act, which also further criminalizes the trafficking of persons into Canada. So I'm sorry, I'm going to have to do more research on that, but I'll probably just try to get back to you on Twitter privately about this. But yeah, sorry that we couldn't answer it fully. I I think that just needs a bit more research. (laughs) And that one just came really last minute. So sorry, sorry. I'll definitely (laughs) do my research on that too. Those are really good questions. Really amazing questions. Thank you both for sending those in. Um, But London, before I let you go, where can we all find you? Yeah, you can find me on my website, londonbridges.co. There's no M at the end, londonbridges.co. And I am London Level Up, at London Level Up on all social platforms. And, you know, you can always find me on everywhere, Twitter, Instagram, OnlyFans, everywhere. Like I'm I'm in these virtual streets and I'm in these street streets. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. All of those links will be in the show notes below. So don't forget to give Lennon a follow. Maybe send her a message. If you if this episode resonated with you, if you have comments or feedback to say to any of us, please let us know. You can find me at Strip by Sia on Twitter. You can also find me on um, Instagram as well, Stripped by Sia. Um, StrippedbySia.com is coming soon one day when I decide to finish my website. But um, Patreon.com slash Stripped by Sia. And what else? I think that's that's mainly it. Don't forget to rate us five stars on Apple and Spotify. Maybe write a review if you're really enjoying the content and you've learned something. I'd love to hear from you. But for now, it's another new episode coming out next week, next Sunday. And that's all for now. Thanks so much, London. You're listening to Stripped by Sia, hosted, produced, and edited by Steph Sia, music by Ted D, graphic design by Maria Bellandarama, and photography by Ian Dabber.